What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Gangs of New York. Household. Who's that? St. Michael. Who is it? St. Michael. And what did he do? He cast Satan out of paradise. Goodbye. On my challenge, we have met at this chosen ground. The earth turns. To settle for who holds sway over the five points. But we don't feel it move. Us natives or the foreign hordes defiling it. And one night you look up. One spark. And the sky is on fire. Give me the strength for what I must do. To rest my father's ghost. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Gangs of New York, and the story is as follows. Amsterdam Vallon is a young Irish immigrant released from prison. He returns to the Five Points seeking revenge against his father's killer, William Cutting, a powerful anti-immigrant gang leader. He knows that revenge can only be attained by infiltrating Cutting's inner circle. Amsterdam's journey becomes a fight for personal survival and to find a place for the Irish people in 1860s New York. The film is starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Daniel Day-Lewis, Cameron Diaz, Jim Broadbent, John C. Riley, Henry Thomas, and Brendan Gleeson. It is directed by Martin Scorsese, and it is written by Jay Cox, Stephen Zalian, and Kenneth Lonergan. Here to join me today for this throwback Patreon podcast review, I have Lord LaMagna. Hello. Danilo Castro. Hello, everybody. And Isaiah Washington. Hello. So, Gangs of New York, a passion project for Martin Scorsese, the first time he worked with Leonardo DiCaprio. And that's part of the reason why we are reviewing it here in anticipation for the release of Killers of the Flower Moon. We previously reviewed Mean Streets, which was the first collaboration between Scorsese and Robert De Niro. Now here, Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio and DiCaprio, De Niro coming together for the first time in a Scorsese feature length film with Killers of the Flower Moon. It felt right. The timing felt right to talk about the first time all these individuals worked together. So DiCaprio is coming off of the huge success of Titanic. He is not, at this point in time in his career, the actor that he is today. He is still, I think, in the eyes of many people, still proving himself following the teen heartthrob era, or as they called it, Leo Mania, during this time for him. Daniel Day-Lewis, I believe, came out of a five-year retirement, if I remember correctly, for this movie. You know, he's like one of those guys where he says he's retired, comes back, says he's reti- retired, comes back, back and forth. Cameron Diaz, height of her popularity during this time. And so you've got all the makings here of what would be considered for its time a blockbuster film 
made by Scorsese, budgeted at around $100 million, released by Miramax. Historically, Scorsese clashed a lot with producer Harvey Weinstein on this project. They fought over everything. Budgeting, length, Cameron Diaz in the the love story and how that was marketed to audiences. There was a lot going on here, not to mention the scale of the project and how much of it really was an undertaking for Scorsese. He had been developing this project for many, many years, trying to get the script right, trying to get the money together. And so what we end up getting in the end is we end up getting this absolutely fascinating period piece with very fascinating, once again, elements. But does it all come together as a whole? The film now at this point is 21 years old. We could talk about it in retrospect. We could talk about it when we saw it for the first time. So what do we all think of it now? Is your mouth filled with cunny juice? I asked you a question. <laughs> Let's hear first from Lauren LaMagna. Lauren, what do you think of Gangs of New York? What's really fun about these reviews is that it forces me to relook at films that I have seen, but I haven't seen in 10 plus years, which is why I really love being on these types of um, podcast reviews, because I definitely saw Gangs of New York when I was young, but I can't really tell you anything else besides it, um, besides, you know, Bono ending the movie that <laughs> stuck with me. <laughs> that stuck with me. Um but otherwise, I couldn't tell you much about how I felt about it. So I was really excited to um, come back to this. I remember thinking the movie was long. But again, that was about it. I knew who Martin Scorsese was. I knew who I knew who Daniel Day-Lewis was. I knew who Leonardo DiCaprio was. I was aware of every creative above the line. But I still can really recall um, my thoughts about this feeling, about this film. So I was excited to watch it again with um, a more mature understanding of filmmaking because now I actually have ideas and opinions. I think this film is interesting. I think there's a lot of love in this film. I think you could tell that Scorsese was really passionate about this time period. He loves New York. He loves gangsters. And I think this is a really great um, time period and setting for him to um, work his muscle. I love the production design. I think it's a very immersive film. I also think um, this film is a little bit at war with itself. I think it's really fitting that it's um, set during the Civil War, actually, because there's a lot of things that are pushing against each other, which I find interesting. I do think there's some story elements that don't work 100%. I do think the film feels a lot longer than it is. And I'm all about, you know, long films if they deserve it. I just don't think this film particularly deserves it. But I also think there's really good elements to it. I love the theme of um, this time period in American history, especially um, within New York and as the city is building and crumbling and changing at the same time. I think it's kind of scary looking at it from, you know, a 2023 perspective and a 2023 point of view in America, in New York. Even uh, Charles Dickens himself said that this was like hell on earth, basically, compared to the stuff he wrote about. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I'm kind of aware of how rough it was back then, but I'm not particularly aware of this 
time period in America when it comes to, I feel like you agree with me, Matt, where, where it comes to like New York history of um, gangs were more into like the 1900s and the 1950s. Not to mention, too, any time that there's a period piece taking place during the Civil War, it's usually set in film yeah. or television in the South. Yeah, and it's also discussed, you know, it's very, um, not direct, but it's very, you know, apparent that there's like this invisible line in America where, you know, everyone above it feels one way and everyone below it feels another way, mm-hmm. where obviously that's not the case when it comes to humans. Um, and I love that this was discussed in this film. We actually see, you know, how this one idea divides a city and divides a town and what it can do and how times are changing and you either pick a side and you fight and what you think about it those are really interesting concepts to look at especially at this point in history in a city like this where influence is really powerful and apparent so I love all of those elements and a lot of those elements scream Martin Scorsese it makes sense why he wanted to make this and it looks fantastic but there are narrative points especially that are really um not gelling together as well as they could and as well as they should which does draw back the viewing experience i i don't not like the movie i think it's a fun movie when it's fun it's really fun but it's just when in the terms of a martin scorsese film it's just not um one of his bests which is okay which is so funny because harvey weinstein tried so hard during its award season run too tell everyone that it was time to reward Marty and it was his <laughs> best. And there were some people who did feel that this was his best, maybe because of the scale and the ambition of it all. It's epic. Yeah. Again, you feel that epicness. You feel that immersive, like it is on from a production design and from a scale. It's huge. It's big. That's a very big positive of this film. But as it all flows together, that it gets really rocky really fast because there's there's so much going on. And um, that's just one big negative of the film as a whole for me. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about some of its uh, pacing, its narrative choices, some of the character choices in this. There, there's a lot to get into here. Let's hear next from Isaiah Washington. Isaiah, what did you think of Gangs of New York? Yeah, so I remember going to the theaters a lot with this local theater that we had independent in my town. And there was this big behind poster that I will always see every time I would go gangs in New York directed by Martin Scorsese. Of course, younger me wanted it so bad, but of course my parents didn't let me until I got older. I would always watch my dad like, kind of peeking in his room, seeing him watch stuff like Goodfellas and some other um, noticeable projects from Martin Scorsese, but had to wait. This was my first time watching the film. I'm excited. I am about to watch a blind spot from who I consider one of the greatest movie directors of all time and also one of the greatest movie directors alive right now. I have to say I was a bit disappointed with this film. Now, I want to get this right out the way. There are a lot of great, fascinating, I think that word that you mentioned earlier was a great way to describe it, fascinating elements about this film, whether it's the production of the craftsmanship and the art direction, as well as the costumes, even the sound mixing, I was a very big fan of in this film. I think the historical time period that this movie goes into is also a bit daring for Martin Scorsese. Here we see a northern depiction of life 
during the Civil War era. I would also go as far to say that from a character perspective, Bill the Butcher, the portrayal that Daniel Day-Lewis gives him, is one of the greatest movie villains that I've seen from the 2000s. I would put him on the same level of someone like a Joker or even a Vincent from Collateral. There is a despicable, twisted nature to his character that also is balanced with charisma and charm, which I think is very hard to do when you are developing a writer who's, I mean, sorry, a character who's one of the great focal points of a film. I think what hurt this film for me a bit is it is at war with itself. On one hand, when the film is a historical storytelling of the politics in this film, I think that is a lot more interesting than this revenge plot narrative that we have between Amsterdam and Bill the Butcher. I think the pacing for that side of the narrative drags. It's uninteresting. I think the Amsterdam character is not a very fascinating lead to follow, despite a really good opening that the film has. This film also just feels like a very painfully early 2000s period of its time with a lot of the musical choices, as well as some of the filmmaking aesthetic. It's something that I just found a bit disappointing, but there are some really positive elements that keeps this film from being bad, but definitely one of the weaker experiences that I've seen with a Martin Scorsese film. Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. Okay. All right. Danilo Castro, on to you, sir. Uh, similar to Lauren, I saw this movie once a long time ago. I remember it being long. I remember the scene of Daniel Day-Lewis talking to DiCaprio's character with the flag draped over him. And that's all I remembered. So going into this the second time, the second viewing, I was looking forward to the fact that it was more or less a clean slate for me. And I still think the movie's long. I still think that scene with Day-Lewis is great. I also think this is this is a really big, overstuffed, bloated film. I hesitate to call it Scorsese's worst, but I definitely think it's in contention, which we could sort of unpack in more detail uh, as we go on. But I uh, I agree with a lot of the points that have been identified so far. I think the romance subplot, the revenge subplot, the New York sort of backdrop they fail to congeal into something that I think is pretty consistent. I think generally Scorsese does a good job of filtering historical events, you know, the rise and fall of Vegas, the rise and fall of the mafia and Goodfellas, 
uh, even the Kennedy assassination and the Irishman, he does a good job of filtering them through specific characters so that we have more or less a lean character focused story. It feels like he's more interested in the backdrop of New York during this time period than he is the characters. Mm. And I think the writing suffers as a result. And frankly, I think the performances are, are pretty significantly weaker than he's used to getting out of his actors. And obviously we're talking with top, you know, we're talking about top tier actors here. I don't want to get too, I guess, specific or, you know, sort of get the scalpel out uh, sort of in the, the introductory thoughts here, but that's my general takeaway. Uh, lots of flaws, definitely some highlights, and we'll get to those too. But yeah, the, this movie, um, not not the the classic I think he was aspiring to make here. So I remember when this movie came out, I remember watching it, 13 years old, and thinking, oh my God, this is like one of the most violent movies I've ever seen. And being so enamored with it in a way that I didn't really know how to process I think it's because there are still these uh, elements of it that stand out to me today, mainly the scale of the production. I think even back then I was able to recognize the glory in that. Daniel Day-Lewis's charismatic performance as Bill the Butcher is something that still to this day for me, I think is an iconic villain performance. Isaiah said the 2000s. I go even further than that. I think he's one of the great on-screen villains that we've ever had. There there were certain pieces of this that I absolutely adore. But oh my God. On this latest <laughs> viewing especially, oh, did I have some notes for this screenplay. Yeah, A screenplay written by Steven Zalian, Academy Award winning screenwriter for Schindler's List. Jay Cox, who is one of Martin Scorsese's best friends, and he's written The Age of Innocence alongside him. He, they wrote Silence together. And then you have Kenneth Lonergan, Manchester by the Sea. You can count on me, Margaret. How? How do you fuck this up so badly? <laughs> it's kind of incredible. I didn't realize those three writers collaborated on this screenplay until i sat down to watch it this time who's the weak link and i couldn't believe it who, who do i blame <laughs> <laughs> i'll tell you who i blame i blame weinstein why because it's easy but also too in all honesty <laughs> because there is a there is an actual recorded history of him and scorsese clashing over a lot on this movie so much so that scorsese swore that after he completed gangs in new york he was done with filmmaking, he was he was done. He was finished. He had such a miserable experience um, going through trying to get this picture made, and it's kind of like been the uh, journey for Scorsese really ever since. Um, you know, post Gangs in New York, he never really had it easy ever making a studio film with Aviator, with Departed, mm-hmm. and then you start to see like slowly but surely he. Starts getting financing from other different places, and now it's become what it's become, where he's only able to secure this level of financing through streamers to tell stories at this level. Because what are you going to do? You're going to give Scorsese $10 million and say, go make an independent film? No, of course not. 
And I don't think he would want to anyway. He wants to tell the stories he wants to tell no matter what the size of the production is. And whatever the cost is, that's what the cost is. But unfortunately, even back then, forget about today, back then even, they weren't willing to give him the money that he needed for some of these projects. And so he's always been a rebel in how he's fought against the studio system to achieve what he wants for the stories that he wants to tell, for the characters that he cares about. And I'll give him this. In Bill the Butcher, he's got a really great character there. And he's got arguably the greatest actor of all time playing him. And then you have Leonardo DiCaprio, who, listen, like I said, he's not the DiCaprio of today, but back then, it was like money. We got DiCaprio, we're good. We're we're getting that money. (laughs) People are showing up to see this movie no matter what. Cameron Diaz, another one, money. But then... The storyline that they have together in this movie, and I, and I hate saying it like this because Cameron Diaz, while I don't think she's absolutely awful in this movie, I think the writing is awful for her character. So much so that I think her character could have actually have been exercised from the entire movie and it wouldn't even make a difference. And as it was said before, this revenge subplot here between Amsterdam and Bill really does feel, especially for Scorsese, like it is playing second fiddle to what he really wants to tell here, which is he wants to tell a story about a city, about its people, about the changing of the environment, of the politics of the time, and how these people, these squabbles, these vendettas, these ideas of revenge all mattered to nothing in the end. And they all just withered away. Their bones and ash became part of the bedrock of what New York is today. Some people remember them. Most people don't. That was the story he wanted to tell. But he didn't want... I don't think he wanted to tell this micro story so much. I think that was the part that really just didn't interest him. And and I think it's evident in... Amsterdam's journey throughout this story and we can chart this if we want from beginning through to the end because there are certain parts of it where I'm like I I don't know how like this is so simple this is such a bare bones story when you really think about it in terms of the revenge subplot like how do you mess this up but Mm -hmm. believe me they do they (laughs) it's kind of incredible to also watch then uh supporting performances in this as well Jim Broadbent Brendan Gleeson, John C. Riley popping up. They're like, that that's fun. So I'll tell you this much. I was never bored watching this movie. Still, still never bored watching it today. But it's incredible to me how this on paper, and I can see how everybody involved thought on paper this was gonna work and this was gonna come together and this was gonna be a big, big deal. But what it ended up being was it ended up being a movie that I think just barely made it over the finish line and just turned out to be, some might say okay, some might say good. I don't know many people that ever say great. And Danila, like you said, maybe in contention for Scorsese's worst. I, I wouldn't personally go that far, but it's definitely near the bottom. And at least with that context for keeping that in mind. When you have a Martin Scorsese film that is near the bottom of the man's filmography, it is still better than, what, 75% of everything else that's out there? At least for the sheer ambition of it all. My God. So that's my opening thoughts here for Gangs of New York. I know that was a lot, but there's this is a lot of movie. Yes. 
So where do we want to start? What do we want to start with? I I, I would personally like to start with this revenge storyline between oh. Amsterdam and Bill. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, this is a preview of our full review for Gangs of New York here on the Next Best Picture podcast. In order to get the over two hour long review, you will have to head on over to Next Best Picture's Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you'll get the rest of this review and other exclusive podcast content from us as well. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on, it wasn't come that on. bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. 